0: Amen. Good morning. morning. For several weeks now, we have been studying first the Lord's Prayer, and then the last couple of weeks we have been focused on questions that you have had, that you have turned in about prayer. And I don't know anyone personally who's totally satisfied with their prayer life. And if you are the one that is, you can come see me after church. But I think most of us have a desire to grow in our prayer life and understanding what it's about and what God has called us to when we pray. If you were to take 12 pastors and line them up on the platform from across Cross County or across Arkansas for sure, I think you would, if you were to ask them, are you satisfied with the prayer life that you have as a pastor, I think you would be 12 for 12, they would say no. No are you satisfied, pastor, with the prayer life in your congregation? I think to the man they would say no, and let me tell you why, because when they have prayer meetings and prayer gatherings, you could just, you know, just such a small turnout, and pastors get discouraged, and in interacting with them for years now, a couple of things have stood out as reasons why. One is that people don't have a sense, in general, we don't have a sense of urgency about prayer. For some reason, we don't have a sense of urgency because, and you can fill in the blank, maybe you're not sure it does anything or makes any difference, not sure anyone's listening, not sure that you're doing it right, whatever the case may be. There's a a lot of Questions that people have, and so the urgency is really low. And you know, you and I, most of us don't do things unless we feel that it's important to do it. The other reason I believe that we suffer from this, not just as Baptists, but across denominational lines, I think most pastors admit struggling in this area, is because of this question that we're going to take up today. And so the title is I Have Another Question, but here's the question that we're going to look at this morning. And this, um, I, I was talking to the deacons earlier. I said, I believe this is going to be my, the best sermon I've ever shared. But I believe with all my heart, this is one of the most important messages that I have shared as your pastor here at Win Baptist. And here's the question that we're going to look at today. Here it is. If God is sovereign and already knows what he is going to do, why do I need to pray? Does prayer change anything? And approaching this question, there were so many things that came to mind, but what I opted to do was really try to share with you a picture of what happens when you and I pray. What, what are the dynamics? If I could lift the hood on, on someone's prayer that is answered, what is happening? What is taking place? And so I have five truths I want to share with you this morning that I believe will help you sort out that question to your own satisfaction here's the first truth i would share with you the prayer god answers begins in the heart of god the prayer that god answers begins in the heart of god you say why do you say that well there's so many passages that come to mind but i want to call your attention to isaiah 46 verse 9 we're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning but i want to start with this passage this is a good example this is God speaking. Remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And earlier in this chapter, he's he's addressing the Babylonians and their false gods and their false idolatrous worship. And and whenever we have a perception of God that's not true, it's, it's imaginary and it's not lined up with who he really is. And And so our imaginary gods are like idols, things that we think God is, that he's not, is like an idol. And he says, I'm different from the idols, and I'm different from any god that you can imagine. In what way? Verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. That's what sets him apart from all the other gods. He has a will, and his will is going to be done. He has a plan and a purpose, and he's going to carry out that plan and that purpose. And nothing can stop him. He knows what he's going to do in the future. He just doesn't know the future. He is accomplishing his purpose and his plan in our time with the passage of time. He is a sovereign God. So what is he doing in this instance? Well, years before it really happened, in verse 11, he says, Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. And in this case, he's referring to Cyrus. The Babylonians had carried the people of God after the battle of Carchemish, uh, around 600 B.C. They'd carried the people of God into captivity. But around 539 B.C., a man named Cyrus came and whooped up on the Babylonians, and he released the people of God and sent them back to Israel. And and God is saying, I know the end from the beginning. I know how this is going to play out. I've already got a guy years from now, because this prophecy was given years before it happened. He said, I already got a guy years from now. He's going to execute my counsel. He's going to carry out my plan. And then it closes. Indeed, I have spoken it I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. God speaks and establishes his plans, and they will be done. Corey ten Boom was a survivor of Nazi concentration camps in World War II. She traveled all over the world by faith, teaching people how to walk with God. Two particular sayings that she gave Really encapsulate everything she taught. The first one is this Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. The second one speaks to what we're talking about. There is no panic in heaven, God has no problems, only plans. So you and I look at the world and it seems to be careening out of control and that there's nothing in control and it's all chaos and it's all scary. And yet the scripture stands and says that he is on his throne. We have a God who is a king. He is sovereign. Nothing is out of control. And that's not only true among national and big political things that go on in the world and on the planet, but it's also true of your personal life. Your life is not playing out as one big accident, no matter what you may think or feel about your own life. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21 He says, there are many plans in a man's heart. How many of y'all have plans today? Lunch, I'm sure, is, you got a plan, right? If not, come to my house. But I don't know if I'm going to eat in or out. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. And so it even applies to the individual heart. I, I, I have a sense of Making my own choices, and I choose to do this and I choose to that, and I have plans and so forth. But God's counsel for me as an individual is being played out. God has a plan for you. And listen, friend, you do not have to be afraid of the sovereignty of God. You know why? Because you don't want to pray to a God who's not in control. Do you? You want to pray to a God who's, who's not in control. In fact, the whole reason you pray is because you believe He's in control. You believe he can do something in response to your prayers. You believe that he can affect someone that you're praying for, that he can influence them, he can do something. You believe that God is in control. It's the foundation of your prayer life. So the prayer that God answers, here's what I want you to hear, begins in the settled, eternal, and absolute plans of his heart. First truth. Second truth. God acts on his will. What he's planning to do by exposing his people to his heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. The next step in the normal movement or progression of prayer is that God has a will, something he's accomplishing, wants to accomplish, but then he finds someone who will respond to his heart. God's people don't make the decisions about what are going to happen on the world stage. God's people don't make that call. He is the king. He is sovereign. He is the control. But the prayers of God's people are His way of implementing His decisions. There's a great mystery here, but it is a consistent truth that runs throughout the Scripture. God is working out His eternal purpose and His eternal plan through the prayers of His people. That's why John Wesley once said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. From our perspective, that's what it looks like. Someone else said, and I've never been able to track it down, someone else said, history belongs to those who pray. And it's because he has a will, and he's going to do his will, but he always does it through and accomplishes it through the prayers of his people. Let me give you an example of that. Genesis 18, verse 17. In this passage of Scripture, in Genesis 18, Abraham has just received the news from two angels and a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. The technical word for that is theophany, or in this case a Christophany, where Jesus, before he came as a baby, before he walked the earth, he appeared at different times to different individuals in the scripture. He did it in Isaiah chapter 6. He appeared to Isaiah. Behold, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In John 12, he says, Isaiah rejoiced because he saw the Lord. He saw Jesus and he's referring to Isaiah 6. So it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus I know that's kind of wild but he has come with two angels and he's told Abraham you're going to have a son Abraham's like a hundred Sarah's like 90 and she starts giggling in the tent I don't know how you would respond to that news if you're 90 but she giggled and they wound up naming the boy laughter or Isaac and he's about to leave, and he, and he turns to the angels, and he says this in Genesis 18, verse 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? And suddenly, there's something on the Lord's heart that he wants Abraham to know. And he's about to expose Abraham to his own heart. And what is it? He's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, immediately, Abraham, in the presence of the will of God, in the presence of God, he reacts to that information. And the first thing he does is he begins to intercede for the righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, Lord, far be it from you that you would destroy the righteous with the wicked. If there are 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare it? God says, yes. And Abraham says, Lord, I'm, I'm a nobody, and I'm not very important, but, but, you know, if we fall just five short of that, and we get to 45 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare the cities for that? And God says, yes. And this conversation goes to 40, and then the 30, and then the 20, and then the 10. And God, each time, immediately showing the tenderness and the true heart and the true will of God, who does not want to destroy human beings, Each time Abraham asks, will you save the city for just ten righteous people? God says, yes. And Abraham intercepts what God is about to do, and he begins to pray. And he is so dear and near to the heart of God that ultimately, I believe, the heart of God was accomplished through Abraham's prayer. God looks for people who will respond to him. You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah was told to go preach to the people of Nineveh. And the people of Nineveh, what their armies did to people, would make ISIS look like kindergarten play. They did horrendous, murderous, horrific acts of cruelty to the people that they conquered. And Jonah really doesn't like this, and so you know what he does. He runs the other way, right? He doesn't want to do it, but God captures him through a fish, and he's ultimately forced to go to Nineveh, and he preaches that God is about to destroy them if they don't repent, and they repent, and Jonah is very unhappy because he wanted to see God whoop up on them. And and he he even says to the Lord, you go back and read it, he says, God, I knew you were going to do it. I knew you. I know your heart, you didn't want to judge them, and they repented. I knew you were going to do that. God exposes his people to his heart, and they begin to obey and pray according to his heart. Sometimes people aren't listening. Seriously. There are instances in God's Word where it says that God has a heart to do something, and nobody is paying attention. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 29, we've got an example of this. It says, The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the strangers. So you know what God's about to do. This is the people of Israel, and they have gone off the deep end, Verse 30, so I sought for a man among them. What was he looking for? A man among them, a certain kind of person who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. You see, it wasn't the heart of God to destroy the people of Israel at that moment, but no one was standing in the gap. No one apprehended the heart of God. No one was listening. And so what ultimately happened is that the natural judgment of God on a rebellious nation, was poured out. He appears to be unwilling to act apart from an intercessor. Therefore, I poured out my indignation on them. If only someone had been listening. Prayer begins in the heart of God. He has a will. He wants to work His will And how he chooses to do it is a mystery, but he chooses to do it through the prayers of his people. And so he exposes his people to his heart. And that brings us to the third truth. God's people experience a need or a burden. see, that's the human side of what takes place. That's the human side. And and I want to pause here for just a moment because as you're listening to this, you're saying, well, it looks like you're saying that I can only pray the will of God and expect an answer if I'm praying the will of God. That is absolutely what Scripture teaches. We have to pray it in His name. I have to ask it according to His will. Everything in Scripture leads me to believe that I have to pray according to the will of God to expect an answer. But listen, there are times where you don't know the will of God. And what arises in you is a sense of need or burden or concern. And maybe you don't know how to pray. Is Does that mean you should go ahead and pray? Absolutely. Because sometimes we're aware of the heart of God. Sometimes we're not aware that God is speaking and putting something on our heart. We may be conscious of it. We may not be conscious of it. But listen to me. If you feel a need, that is God's invitation to come to him and pray about that need. If you feel a burden, that is God calling you to come and lay that burden in his feet. The example is Jonah 2, verse 2. He's in the belly of the whale and he prays, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me. Why did he cry out to the Lord? Because of his need. Because of his need. Because of his need. Some of you have a need, even this morning, and you don't realize that that need is God creating an opportunity for you to come to him. You're doing everything with that need except pray about it. And that need is God calling you to come to him. Sometimes you experience need and you realize God has put me in this circumstance. God has allowed this thing to happen to me. And he's allowed this need to happen in my life, and I recognize that it's the heart of God or it wouldn't be happening. So, God, I come to you. How do you want me to respond to this need? Every need you have is a call from God to pray. Do you hear the phone ringing? Do you hear God calling? Sometimes we experience his heart, his will, in the form of a burden. A burden is, a, is an intuitive sense of weight on the soul. It is a concern about someone or something, and it weighs on your mind and it weighs on your heart. An example of that is in Ephesians 3, verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, For this reason, this reason, I bow my knees. Now, Paul talked to the Lord all the time, but he said, I've got a reason that I'm bowing my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that? He makes it clear that he would grant you or give you something. What is it that he wants to give? He's asking God to give to the Ephesians. It is this, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. He knew the Ephesians well. He had led many of them to Christ. He had preached the gospel in such a way that it says, everyone in Asia heard the word of the Lord where Ephesus was located. But as he left Ephesus, he had a continuing concern for their spiritual growth and development, and he saw something that was missing in their life. As he looked at their life, they were not living the Christian life the way God intended it to be lived. They were living it in their own strength. They were living it with the sense of Jesus is here and he helps me with my problems. Jesus lives in me and he helps me with my problems. What Paul wanted them to understand is that Jesus didn't come to live inside you to help you with your problems. He came into your life so that self would die and Christ would live. He wants to live his life completely through you. When you have a problem, it's not your problem, it's Christ's problem. He wants to meet that problem with his life coming out through you. And so what he prays in this passage is that they would be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, that they might know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that they might have a profound and a clear understanding that Jesus Christ, the living Lord of the universe, lives inside of them, not as a helper, but as life. Paul would later say, it's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so when you and I look at somebody in the church, another Christian, we may say, you know, man, I see a big glaring blind spot in that guy's life, or I see something in that gal's life. She, man, she's, she's really missing it. She's really messing up. And you and I see something like that. And instead of taking that concern and processing it as a burden, a weight, a concern on the mind and the heart, we decide to go talk to somebody else about it. We have missed God's invitation to take that burden and bring it to him and pray about it. And so when you and I experience need or experience a burden, it is is suddenly God breaking through from his throne and allowing us to see something or experience something, and it is his way of drawing us into prayer with Him. The fourth truth. The Holy Spirit guides people to pray God's will through scriptural promises and spiritual promptings. See, I become aware of the need, I have the burden, but what do, what do I say? How, how do I pray about it? What do couples in love mothers with babies, and church choirs have in common. This is not a joke. Couples in love, mothers with babies, church choirs have something in common. You know what it is? It is that their hearts beat as one. Scientifically, research has been done, three different studies that I've found, and there may be other examples of this, But mothers with their babies, when they can see one another, especially if the mother smiles at the baby, almost instantly their hearts begin to beat together within milliseconds of one another. Couples in love can see each other across a room and smile. Their hearts and their respiration begin to line up. They begin to breathe at the same rate. Their hearts begin to beat as one. If some other guy walks in, doesn't do that for her, some other gal works in, doesn't do, it, do that for him, but when those two, in love, look at each other, their hearts and respiration begin to align with one another. Church choirs, before they sing a song, they have hooked up EKGs to every member of a church choir. This happened in Sweden. They hooked them all up, and their EKGs are all over the map, all out of sync, heart rates, different rates, all kinds of stuff. But when they began to sing, all those EKGs EKG, began to settle into one beat. The hearts began to beat as one in the choir. And that is exactly what happens when you and I begin to pray. Is that you and I, our heart becomes exposed to the heart of God and given enough time and with the help of the Holy Spirit, with His Word and with His promptings, His heart and your heart will begin to beat as one and you'll know how to pray. You will know how to pray. Our hearts will beat as one. Old timers called this praying it through. And older writings are just talking to old timers. When I started out ministry, people that knew how to pray, they would talk about praying it through. I took the matter to the Lord and I prayed it through. What are they saying? They said, I prayed, and I prayed, I prayed, until I understood what God was going to do and I was able to leave it with him. And I asked him to do his will in that situation. This happened to Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, meaning he was the closest confidant and advisor to the king. He was also a devout follower of God, and he loved the Word, and he read it often, and he prayed often. And one day, some guys came from Jerusalem, from the city that was precious to him, where the people of God had been evacuated, and they had been exiled from there. And he just said, how is the city of Jerusalem? And they told him, almost casually. All the walls are burned down and lying flat, and the people are harassed and discouraged. And the men that carried the news, it didn't bother them, but Nehemiah was someone who heard the heart of God in that news report. The Bible says, I sat down and I wept, and he continued to pray, and as best we can tell, it lasted about four months. He just sat before the Lord, and he prayed. And he prayed. And he prayed. And what formed over those four months was a heart cry that was rooted in the Scripture. And a heart cry that God would restore the people to Israel, restore the people to Jerusalem, and the walls would be rebuilt. It was never about rebuilding the walls. It was always about rebuilding the people of God. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8, as he begins to pray, he says, Remember I prayed the word, the word, the word that you commanded your servant Moses. And so Nehemiah uses God's promises, and he brings it to his prayer. Before Jerusalem was destroyed years earlier, God had appointed watchmen, people who spiritually were supposed to watch over the people of Israel. They were the leaders, the spiritual leaders. And in Isaiah 56, 10, it says that these watchmen who were supposed to look out for the welfare of the people of God were blind, they lacked knowledge, and they asleep, and they're asleep. But in Isaiah 62, all of that changes. Now he's about to restore the city. And when he does, listen to what it says. He promises to restore Jerusalem. Listen to what kind of leader he's raising up. Verse verse 6. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they will never keep silent. And what are they doing? You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves. See, the way they were praying is that they were reminding of God, bringing something to God. His will, His purpose, His word. Take no rest for yourselves and give Him, God, no rest until He establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. These are men and women who are simply praying the heart of God back to God. They have felt the need, they have felt the burden, they've been appointed by God as watchmen, all that God would give us watchmen at Wynn Baptist Church, who have a heart to stand before God and pray the promises of God back to God, and to remind God and give him no rest, oh God, you have said, oh God, you have said in your word. How does God get us to a place where we actually are able to see the will of God that is in heaven done on earth? He does it through his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is the one who communicates to us the life and the presence of God. It's His Holy Spirit who allows us to draw near His heart and for our hearts to begin to synchronize with His heart in beating. It's the Holy Spirit of God who enables you to pray. In John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus taught it this way, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. In other words, Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? What is it that you're about to do? What is it that that you want me to pray that you would do? And it's the Holy Spirit who will bring that to our prayer time. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to know what God wants to do and what He is about to do. So what happens? When the heart of God and the people of God are exposed to that heart and we experience need and we experience a burden... And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we begin to pray his will back to him. Say, Lord, in your word, you have said, you have promised, this is what you have said that you want to do. What happens to our home? What happens to my life? What happens to our church? What happens to our community when we begin to pray like that? Number five, God accomplishes his will and purpose by answering the cries of his people. That's what happens. He answers. And the hand of God enters into our time and space, and he begins to work. And he works in ways that can only be described as things that we never thought were possible and were far beyond our imagination. Paul actually describes that in Ephesians. Listen to John's summary. This is everything that we've studied this morning. 1 John 5, 14, and 15. Now, this is the confidence. He's talking to you and me. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we, it's you and me, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now that's code language for something very specific. But He's telling you, if there's a secret to answered prayer, He's telling you the secret to answered prayer. It is asking according to the will of God. And if you and I take time to discern, to draw near, to make that request, and even when we don't, Romans eight twenty six says, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So the Holy Spirit helps us even when we don't know what to pray. But if we will ask according to His will, it says He hears us. That's code language for what happens in verse 15. And if we know that He hears us, what does that mean? It means that whatever we ask, We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. That's the key to answered prayer. And the cycle comes full circle. And what begins in the heart of God, He determines He's not going to do it except through the prayers of His people. And His people get it and begin to pray, and then He does it. He does it. I want you to see the diagram at the bottom of your handout or up on the screen. It is a picture. I like pictures. I like visual things. It is a picture of what we just talked about this morning. What I want you to notice, first of all, is the line that runs from left to right, straight across the screen. That's a dividing line between the world that is seen and the world that is unseen. You see, reality does not consist only of what you can see, touch, feel, smell, or hear with your senses. Reality also includes the unseen. Below the line is the seen where you and I live. Above the line is the unseen. Below the line is temporal. You and I live in time. Above the line is eternal. God lives and exists outside of time. He does not age. He does not grow old. That's why we say He doesn't change because He is who He is. And when prayer begins, it begins in the heart of God in the upper left-hand corner. It begins in the unseen realm and it's what happens in the unseen world that most affects the world that you and I see. There's a spiritual battle taking place there according to the Word of God. And you and I enter into that battle when we pray. And so what God is about to do, what He wants to do in Wynn, Arkansas, is already formed in His heart and is part of His eternal counsel and plan for Wynn, Arkansas, and for Wynn Baptist Church. And when he gets ready to act, when he begins ready to work, what he does is he takes his will and he makes it known to his people and the Holy Spirit exposes us to the will of God. That experience for you and me is in terms of need or burden. That's what happens for us on our end. The Holy Spirit exposes us to the will of God. We experience need or burden. I may be conscious that it's from the Lord. I may not be conscious of it, but that's what's happening. And so I have this need, and I have this burden, and with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, I come to understand what the will of God is in that situation. I seek Him. I pray it through. I am persistent about praying it day and night, not giving Him rest, and I continue to do that, and the prayer request then, with the help of the Holy Spirit, ascends back to the Father above the line into the unseen realm. And this prayer that began in the heart of God, that goes through the the people of God, is now... Approaching God once again, and the hand of God is what works. The hand of God then comes back into our time and space, and what we have been praying and learning about in the Lord's prayer becomes true. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the picture that he wants you and I to carry when we come to him and when we pray. I may may spend 10 minutes. Our daughter was just recently in northern Iraq. I may spend 10 minutes praying for Muslims, ISIS soldiers. And tonight, one of them may have a dream about Isa, which is their word for Jesus. And we'll wake up in the morning and lay down his gun and go find someone who can tell him more about Jesus. Ten minutes. Praying like this, the heart of God, who creates a need and a burden in my heart. And I pray because it's something he wanted to do and was about to do. I may spend ten minutes praying, And someone struggling with an addiction like pornography or sexual addiction, but because I lift that man or that woman up and I'm praying for them, they experience a liberty, they experience the intervention of God, they experience being set free in a way that they don't understand and they don't know why it's happening, but they found a newfound strength to live for another day. Because the Lord created a need or burden in my heart. I may be on the ball field watching my kid play ball. I may be in a classroom watching kids goof off or be a kid in a classroom watching my friends goof off because we know none of Win Baptist Church kids would goof off. Or talking to the guys on a bench somewhere or sitting with them drinking coffee somewhere and suddenly God impresses on my heart that I need to pray for the people in the White House at that moment. And because God has called us to pray for our leaders and because I was open and sensitive to the prompting of a spirit and I pray to that moment I may have shaped a decision in the Oval Office on that day that affects millions of people for good and sitting in your chair in your house in Wynn, Arkansas you can change the trajectories of nations when you and I draw near to the heart of God and it begins to create a sense of need and burden in our hearts that we respond to with prayer What are the needs in your heart? What are the burdens in your heart? That is his invitation to come to him and to pray. God has a plan, desires to do a mighty work here in Wynn, Arkansas. I believe that with all my heart. When I came here as your interim pastor and now as your pastor, I knew from day one and if I have failed in anything, it was not being more insistent that we become a people who pray together. And we have wonderful stories already of things that God has done as we have prayed for one another. But listen, are you satisfied? Are you at peace with where we are? Are you happy with the rate at which people are coming to know Jesus? Are you content with what's happening spiritually in your own home? Are you satisfied with the numbers of people Seventy-five percent of wind that aren't in church this morning and are never in church. Are you satisfied with that? Does that disturb you? Are there things happening in your workplace that bother you? And, and, And maybe the future is uncertain for you or something is happening to you. Are you satisfied just to sit and worry about that? Let the pressure of that squash you like a bug. Or do you understand that every need and every burden that comes to your mind Somehow the Holy Spirit has exposed to you something from God, and He is calling you to seek Him and to pray to Him because He has something He wants to do. And He is not going to do it apart from the prayers of His people. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We want to take a moment to respond to Him. What a wonderful opportunity you and I have to respond to the lord's call to pray if you have a need or burden this morning right there in the pew you can begin to carry that to the lord and recognize that that is him calling you to himself i find that it helps me when i have visited other churches or i get to listen to other preachers that when god speaks i love to come forward in a church like this that has a place these steps where i can come and pray and talk to him there may be someone next to you and you know they have a need or a burden in their life and you may need to just saddle over next to them during our response time and take them by the hand just say, brother or sister, can I just pray for you? I know that you're carrying a great weight right now and I'd just like to pray for you. Or maybe two of you, three of you, will come together and pray down here for someone that you know is hurting, that needs someone to intercede for them you've come this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior it is the father's heart that you would know his son Jesus Christ Jesus died on the cross for your sins removing the barrier that keeps you from God your sin is offensive to a holy God but he has provided a way for you to be forgiven through Jesus Christ his son and through his shed blood and his death on the cross every person who puts their trust in Jesus can be saved, rescued from the punishment of sin. Jesus took our place. And this morning, if you would like to receive him as Lord and Savior, we would like to share with you more of that good news. The pastors and I are here. We'd love to talk with you. And then, brothers and sisters, if you just need someone to pray with you, come. We would be delighted to do that. How does the Lord want you to respond to a message on prayer if it's not to pray? Father thank you for your word and its power to redirect us and draw us into the life that you have prepared and that you have had in mind for us all along. Holy Spirit you're welcome here. Guide each of us, guide each person as we respond to you. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?
1: I have Before my heart, before even time began, my life was in his hand. He knows my name, he knows my. each tear that falls and hears me when I call. I have And hears me when I call. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and he. The altar's open. Name.
0: There's still time.
1: He knows you have a need. You have a burden. You know someone who does.
0: Take time he to pray for them.
1: Each tear that
0: falls Intercede for them.
1: Hears me when I call.
0: Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just do that. Just go to the Lord. Father, how do you want me to pray? how do you want me to respond whatever he brings to mind whatever's pressing whatever's causing you to be anxious whatever's causing you not to want to trust him would you carry that to him Lord, here I am. Here's my need. Teach me, Lord, how to pray about my need. Teach me, Lord, what your heart is. Let me be a channel through which you can work and do mighty things in my home, my church, and my town. Father, thank you for the time we've had today to to explore this wonderful gift you've given to us called prayer. Thank you for the rich invitations littered throughout your entire scripture that invite us to come to you with our burdens and our needs and everything that presses against us. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, that today we have no strength apart from you. We have no wisdom apart from you. We have no hope apart from you, that you are our only hope of life, joy. And Father, we ask that as a consequence of our being together today and in keeping with the prayers of your saints through the ages and through the decades, even here at Win Baptist Church, that we might become that people through which you can work and do mighty things and that we might be the generation that you use As a channel, we pray that you would come to the Delta. We pray that you would come to Win. We pray that you would come and do a mighty work among us, your people, at Wynn Baptist Church. Father, would you receive our offerings now as an act of worship? And may our gifts please you, and would you use them to relieve and encourage and sustain ministry, not only here in the church, but literally around the world. Missionaries, who need encouragement today, both in North American cities and places that our churches are being started and literally in cities and communities all over the planet. Would you take our gifts and multiply them and use them? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.